the artists are the ones that inspire people to take action. And that's really all that's important in this world is what actions do people take? This is the Bitcoin Muse, and I'm Clay Innes. Today, Bitcoin Shooter gives us a distilled lesson in being a self-starter and documentarian. His path, his mission, and his gift of storytelling is nothing short of inspiring. From early on, the Bitcoin Shooter refined his skills and found his voice as a filmmaker. Today, with his powerful grasp of the available tools, he's dedicated his talent and energy to help the world understand Bitcoin. Not with a heavy hand, but with the consummate subtleness of a master storyteller. Despite being a little under the weather during our recording, I was hyped up by this chat. I hope you will be too. Here's my conversation with the Bitcoin Shooter. Bitcoin Shooter, thank you for being here. Yeah, it's my pleasure, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to the chat today. I'm particularly inspired by self-starters. Your story seems to be very much that. Can you give us a little rundown? That's definitely a good way to describe me. And, you know, all the credit goes to my mom, uh, really, because um, she homeschooled me from like third grade through high school. And um, because we were never like wealthy to put us all into like private schools. And I have four siblings. So um, the idea was to move into a nicer neighborhood. Um, and, you know, the public school ideally would pay off. And she just wasn't happy with the public school system. So um, she was teaching me and my younger siblings. And then, she, you know, she wasn't like a trained teacher or anything like that. So after sixth or seventh grade, certain subjects, she wouldn't, she doesn't know, she didn't understand and she couldn't understand it just by reading the book. So her method was to have us explain things to her simply. And if we could, then that would demonstrate that we actually understood it. Um, otherwise if she couldn't get it, then we didn't understand it well enough. So, um, it taught us how to number one, like read things on our own. And then number two, distill them in our own words and more importantly into, um, simple words. So yeah, with that, you know, I basically could do anything after that. I could read about how to install an internal, you know, CD-ROM burner, right. When that was cool, when that was big. Um, and I could, any, anything I could just read the literature and I could, you know, uh, understand it and then do it. So absolutely. I think that is super important for anybody. If you can teach yourself how to teach yourself, the whole world opens up to you. That is uh, very true. Now in that curriculum, were the arts a part of that or was it much more the fulfilling state obligations and things? So I was always drawn to photography and filmmaking. Um, when I was like eight years old, you know, me and my um, neighborhood buddy, we, we would make home movies, you know, stupid things. <clears throat> but, you know, I learned how to hold a camera, learned how to, you know, get it onto a computer, learned how to edit a bit. And then my mom, in terms of keeping us social, would put us into different things. So sports, you know, at uh, the recreation centers, and then also um, arts at some of the community centers. So I learned a little, I took a, like a few years of saxophone and piano and guitar and, um, theater. Theater was probably the biggest, had the biggest impact on me in terms of art, because, you know, it, it just taught me how to articulate myself better and how to not be so shy in front of people. And I mean, B Bitcoin made me even less shy in front of people. We can go into that later, but yeah, the arts more were, 
a way to socialize us to make sure that we weren't, you know, the typical stereotypical homeschooled kid. So that, that's really where they where they played in, you know, uh, just in addition to my natural magnetism towards film. There's something so particular in the medium of filmmaking as a form of storytelling that the unbelievable amount of resources that are put towards it on a regular basis is is rather shocking when you think about it. And uh, we've tapped into something there. I don't know whether it's that dream space where you go into that dark room and, and the stories wash over us, but it does seem like we've we've tapped something really special there. Yeah, with film, certainly. Um, it's, it's a great way to engage all the senses. And, you know, your eyes and visual information is the majority of what your brain gets. You know, it's like 90-something percent. So um, with film, you, you essentially, and I mean, our eyes, what we see in this world is basically one big TV, you know, that we're looking out of. And so when you make a film, you are literally controlling you can you have control over every second, every frame of what you're pushing into that person's retina. So yeah, I mean, there's just the the possibilities are endless. You could put beautiful colors, or you can see beautiful paintings. You can see horrific war. It's like you can you can take somebody around the world in ten seconds. You know, you can show them clips of different parts of the world, and you're basically taking their eyeball and moving it around the world at that point in time. Um, and then when you couple that with music, it's just, you can really touch someone's soul. I mean, I think of like, um, uh, Mozart and, you know, when you listen to that kind of music, you can see images in your head, you know, you, you see a scene or maybe not everybody, but I, you know, you see a scene, I see something happening with visuals. You can just really hammer that in, or you can contrast it with something that's completely opposite of what the music is doing. So yeah, film is, um, I, I think it's, it's very impactful. And for uh, people who are artistic, they're drawn towards it. And then, of course, um, people love watching movies. So it's a big industry. And finally, you know, if uh, you're going to make propaganda, or you want to spread a message, whether it's true or false, or whatever it is, yeah, you might as well invest a lot in film, because, you know, I think it's the best way to inspire people. Um, you touch their emotions and you can inspire action. So that, that's what I think it is. I think it's just like the best way that we can use the senses of the human body to communicate something. You use the, uh, the P word in propaganda. There's a fine line between, say, inspiring, educating, and then what we consider propaganda. Or do you make that distinction? You know, I kind of say these like uh, w- words or shit coins um, because they're really open to anyone's interpretation, you know, and, and lately, you know, people have different definitions for words or words are changing in the dictionary. And it's very confusing because <laughs> it's hard to communicate when I think one thing about a word and you think another thing. So I, I guess propaganda typically I would think is like a, like li- like spreading lies, uh, things that are not true. And you're passing them along as if they're true. So maybe maybe there's like truthful propaganda also. Um, but I think I, the way I like to think of it is truth or lies. And there are things in life that are subjective. And um, but you know, at least when it comes to Bitcoin, it's it's been the foundation for me. It's 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 the truth. And when somebody says like you know it's really bad for the environment, I'm like, okay, that's a lie, man. You know. And so if I put a piece out that is shows how Bitcoin is capping flares or doing green things for the world or helping people get electricity uh, for the first time. Is that propaganda? Fine, if you want to call it propaganda, but I just think it's it's the truth. And um, 
yeah, I guess my line is I just I just won't I won't tell lies. And if I see something that's a lie and that's being pushed out to people, that I guess that's where my brain thinks propaganda. What what, what do you think? Well, I think also that if you are sufficiently driven by beauty and aesthetics and you can take your message and nest it into there with, from a very personal place, then I think you are given a pass in a sense. It's one thing just right. to be out there with a with a, just a bunch of text, right? Right. I hear you. Great leader. Listen to the great leader or whatever, right? Right. Once you've run it through your own creativity and brought a sensitive aesthetic, now we can continue that conversation. It's interesting you would say words are shitcoins because they're open to interpretation. I think a lot of imagery as a photographer is very much that too. And part of what I like about it is it's you let others decide what they see in it. Oftentimes they'll see things that I never imagined in my own work or whatever. But I think with film, because you've got this melding of sound and picture that you're very much in control, you're holding the reins of their mind. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but when I like uh, put a piece together, by the time it's done, you know, I've watched it a thousand times, you know, and I, I do kind of compare it to sculpting a, a a sculpture where it's it's just a lot of refinery. You start with a big block of granite and you're chipping and chipping and chipping and chipping and chipping and chipping and then you watch it again, right? You're basically like walking around your statue and you see some things and you chip and you chip and you chip. By the time I'm done, and I don't know, like when I was growing up and watching movies, there'd be certain movies I would watch a million times and I would, you know, you memorize the whole movie just from front to back. Every single line, every beat, every song. And uh, yeah, that's how I get with my pieces is by the time I'm done, it's like completely memorized. Um, but it, it's for that reason, right? It's you're, I'm holding the reins. I think all artists, you start with an idea in your brain and then you try to bring it to reality. And so, yeah, I think that's what I'm doing when I'm refining and refining and refining. I'm trying to make sure it matches what's in my head. Yeah, it is open to interpretation. And I like that too. And yeah, people definitely do catch things in my films that I don't catch, even though I spent all that time doing it. But I am like, man, I, I, I watched my pieces so many times, man, before they're done. That's awesome. Growing up, of course, we didn't get a lot of documentaries. Our film experience was the Disney's or the Star Wars or whatever. Pick your generational touchstone. When did the light of documentary sort of start to shine on you? I think I always kind of had a style um, is what it was. And when, before I was doing film professionally, I was doing it for fun. And it was first with like silly skits and things like that. And then I started to film like family friends events. They came out really good. I used, I, I used to also play video games and I would record like from my console to my computer and I would record my games. And then I would edit like highlight reels together with music. And other people were doing that. So I took inspiration from other people. And the same thing, with, I was like into Dragon Ball Z and I would do the same thing. I would grab clips and I would like edit a little, like, you know, again, totally copying other people uh, that were doing the same thing. So I think that's how I kind of learned how to edit to music. And the way I consider it like you're making the visuals dance with the music. So that's what it is in my brain. And so when I started filming some of these family events and things, they came out beautiful. I mean, just beautiful. You know, I, my photography, like I, I learned about photography and composition and I took Photoshop classes and my compositions plus the music like was really nice. And I, I realized how the more time went on, the more beautiful the videos were. 
because people are now older and now they're looking back and the kids are younger. And it's like, it's as time goes on, it becomes more and more meaningful. And I like that. And I wasn't sure exactly what that was. Um, but the first time I did it professionally, I had done a, a video for a business and I interviewed like the owner and how he got started and you know what the process is like. And I did it for free. And then, you know, someone else wanted me to do it and I charged them a little bit and then a little more, a little more. But my style was always kind of like documentary, even for the businesses, you know, it was like one, one to three minute piece and it followed a customer or it followed, you know, an owner or it followed a worker, the process, something interesting, not just some typical stupid, like you're saying, like right in your face, the message is so clear. I liked to draw people in with a story and not make it feel like it's an advertisement at all, wrap them into the story and then make it make sense on how the story ties into what this business does or what problem it solves. So for whatever reason, I was always into storytelling and I always kind of did things like a documentary, but the 10 minute short film on El Salvador, Comeback Country is really the first uh, like documentary that I put together. It's the longest body or piece of work that I've ever put together. So I think that's just how it played in. I just kind of had experience getting personal shots I like to tell stories. I wanted to be different when I was making these videos for businesses. And that's just kind of the path that went down. And so, yeah, I guess that's how I got into doing, you know, documentaries. There's just so many good stories out there. There's like it just real stories. There's, there's so many of them. And there's something different when you watch a film and it's like based on true events or it just, it hits you different. Yeah. I think that's how I got into it. Well, I think you're, you're absolutely right. We are the storytelling animal and if you really do drill down the stories we tell that are true and the stories we tell that are fanciful or mythological or, or, uh, you know, not based in reality, there's a blurry line somewhere in there because in the end it's rolling around in our minds to keep us going forward. Right. Uh, and to be you know fearless or whatever it is, right. You tell ghost stories to kids to teach them that there's maybe some ugly and terrible things in the world, but to find your courage, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, there's a lesson in everything, right? I mean, that, that, that's really what it comes down to. Stories are, I think, lessons, really. Uh, it's the oldest form of communication. Um, you know, it'd be like, uh, don't go that way. Like, I went that way and my brother got eaten by a lion. Um, and, and so it's to pass on information. Even with the Bible and even... Um, like I'm really into Graham Hancock and the theory of ancient, an ancient civilization that was advanced. And, you know, you have the story of like Noah's Ark. I think that's how, yeah, that's how we pass information along as human beings. And it doesn't necessarily have to be quote unquote real. A made up story can teach you something, right? It can teach you something about yourself. It can make you feel something. Yeah, sometimes it's just fun to experience different things. You know, for whatever reason, it's fun to watch a scary movie. Like who wants to actually like have someone break into their house and almost kill them, but you would like to watch that for whatever reason. So there's something in us that likes to pretend something crazy is happening. It's 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 fun or, or something. I don't know. Well, it's to that effect what you had said earlier about propaganda. It's true, just not real. Those emotions are genuine and it's important for us to to have those inside our minds and to reconcile those emotions and then have an actionable way forward from there. Absolutely. Yeah, cool. Given filmmaking as your tool, the tools that a filmmaker has today to make beautiful, lensy, gorgeous images is so liberating. 
how easy the tools have become is mind blowing. And I wonder. Yeah, that's the word. Yeah. Easy. Um, <laughs> well, easy, but not to diminish your effort. No, but but I mean, comp- it's all comparative, right? Like that, the, everything's relative. Um, so compared to like when you were my age, um, <laughs> I didn't even think about Quentin Tarantino and his first film was like Reservoir Dogs. And I forget how much money he raised and just looking at the size of the crew. And I think that'd be fun for me to do one day, but to think that I can produce something almost entirely on my own, bring LED lights, little microphones, uh, cameras that shoot 8K, three of them. And like just me travel with a suitcase with all that stuff in it and a drone, like it's uh, the possibilities are so open and not to mention you can do crazy stuff with green screens. It's not that expensive to rent like a studio. That's like a, what are they called? Like a, like a cycle, cycle, cyclone or whatever it is like a psych wall. Yeah. And then you can, uh, I mean, you can embed some really crazy stuff, you know? So it's so much is in reach. Yeah, I think it's it's a really good thing. I think the 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 industry is just going to progress forward because you know I think in the late 1800s with the engine, what happened is a bunch of people had access to engines and they were tinkering, and all of this regular average people, not just a bunch of geniuses, but just a bunch of people tinkering at this engine, we had all this innovation, and I think that's what's happening with film um, is. You know, cameras are getting cheaper, drones are getting cheaper, and it's becoming easier to have something in your imagination and to bring it into reality and not have to raise a bunch of money first or or get a huge crew together. You know, you just practice and replicate. Look at something you want to do, whether it's a bet, like a nice movie, a Scorsese thing or whatever, and replicate it. Think about the lights. Where, where are they? You know, how are they doing this? And then just practice that and then... Man, you can do like again. I, I'm, I'm, I'm evidence of it. I'm like a one man production crew. Sometimes I'll have extra hands on, but otherwise, I like to do it all myself. I light, I sound, I film, I edit, I interview, I organize, like the whole thing. And and it's this technology, the fact that it's much easier to do all of those things, that's enabled me. I mean, just the weight of it alone, the literal physical weight of the equipment being reduced to what they are. There's so many things, but yeah, it's, <laughs> I'm a luck in terms of filmmaking. I'm much luckier to be alive now, like being born in the year I am than the bo- born in the year that you were. So, uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it sounds like you're not, not appreciating what has been given to you and you've taken on in a sense, you've raised up with the burdens of additional ease, right? Back in the day, you might have been a camera operator. And certainly on a big production, there's just a camera operator. But you are now the entire crew. And that that's not easy. No. And, and which gets to really your passions, right? And your, yeah. you are driven to tell the story of Bitcoin. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, just kind of how I got to me being a whole production team is... Um, I was doing this for businesses before and I tried to scale the same way that most businesses scale and bring on more clients, hire more people, charge the same or charge less and just grow that way. But quality wasn't as high. And I'm not saying this with any ego at all. It's just, I like what I shoot better than what somebody I hire to pay an affordable amount can shoot. So what I did was I scrapped all that. And I basically just charged a lot more for me to do it. 
And it was so much better because the quality of work was so much better. And so the next projects just keep coming and keep coming and keep coming because the quality is there. I think that's why I like to do it all myself is because I feel like at least from my, everything's subjective. So from my perspective, I feel like I'm the best person to conduct the interview. I'm the best person to, to get the lights exactly where I want it. I'm the best person to edit it and so on. So um, yeah, that's kind of how I got to where it was. And then, yeah, sharing the message of Bitcoin. This ties back to Graham Hancock. Um, Graham Hancock talks about um, these ancient civilizations all around the world, from Egypt to the Amazon to the Aztecs and the Mayans, all talk about a great civilizer that came to them, like a god uh, in a human form. But they're so advanced and taught them how to hunt and how to build things and about astronomy and mathematics and all kinds of shit. Um, and that's how they describe them. They were bringers of peace and civilization. That's Osiris in Egypt. That's who that is. Um, that's Veracocha in uh, Inca, I think is where it is. And uh, Quetzalcoatl to the Mayans and so on and so on. And so Quetzalcoatl translates to the feathered serpent. And so me and my investors are the 21 feathered serpents working on this film. And the reason why I say that is because just like back then when the feathered serpents were going to these civilizations, they were teaching these civilizations what they needed most at the time. And now I'm convinced that Bitcoin is what civilization needs most. And we have an opportunity to be the feathered serpents of our day to go around and to bring peace and civilization by teaching people about Bitcoin. That's why I'm making a film about Bitcoin because I know that it will fix the biggest problems in the world, that humans are too greedy naturally to be trusted with the ability to print money. And I put myself in that category. I don't know if I could trust myself, especially you know, just five years ago or 10 years ago with a money printer in my bedroom, uh, knowing that it's screwing over the poorest of people in the world, I would still probably use it. And I'd still probably use it for my friends. I know that that is the core of so many problems. It's humans acting naturally in a bad system, in a system where money can be printed. And I'm done with that. No more inflation. I, I'm in the camp that Bitcoin has already won, that people have been infected and more people are infected with Bitcoin. And we can't stop ourselves from learning about Bitcoin and talking about Bitcoin. So yes, humans need to do things for Bitcoin to uh, progress, but it's like a fungi. It's like it's inside of us and it's controlling us now. So um, I know that hyper-Bitcoinization is just a matter of time, but I feel like I can speed it up or I can help some people understand Bitcoin without having to actually experience the pain first. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my mission. That's my goal. And I want to reach everyone in every country you know i want hundreds of millions of people to to get this message that i'm putting together awesome yeah i think that idea of pain is often where the muses would thrive there's something wrong and we're drawn to alleviate that pain either it's in ourselves and we have to get our voices out to release ourselves from that pain or to keep others from going in there i think that there's a long tradition of that yeah. And again, film is so great for this because it's really good at, at getting emotions out of people, making them feel something. Right? I mean, you can really feel pain if you watch a movie. You can feel it, you know, as if it's happening to you or, or a loved one of yours. So again, with Bitcoin, right, most people come after their money's already been hyperinflated or their money's already been frozen or these things. So they're, they're feeling the pain literally. 
But with a film, I think you can communicate those things and let, and let people feel that pain through the film. And that way they can learn that lesson for a much cheaper price. So yeah, the film is perfect for making people feel things, uh, especially pain. Yeah. You know, I, I think about all the reliefs and the, all the painting throughout history, right. Of the passion of Christ or something. He was that subject matter. The only thing available was painting sculpture, right? You can imagine the awe that the front of any given Gothic cathedral would have inspired on the, the minds of the people back then. Today we have film. It is the same narrative story telling device, but not in stone. I see it more like it's closer to like the theater was back then, I think, because the theater, you have music and you would have a play. The difference with film is like um, the eyeballs are in the same place in a theater, right? This is the field of view, period. But with a film, you can zoom them in here. You can have them look at this perspective, this perspective. You're in 3D, you know, 4D. Um, it's like a there, there was this video game I used to play and you could rewatch your gameplay and you could either like have the camera be looking first person like you can see through or like floating behind you or you could just control like a drone like a floating drone where you wanted the camera to be and that's what i imagine like film these days is like a play except you can put the eyeballs where you want them to look and you can blend in paintings too you know like you can blend in all kinds of cool stuff so yeah we just have so many more more tools and not to mention like if you get something that's in a theater like a big, big theater. It's really like you're taking over their entire eyeballs. Just everything they see is is where you're putting them. It's beautiful. I'm sure it's different in many ways. I'm sure in many ways putting on a play is very rewarding and like there's camaraderie and there's a community and stuff like that. I'm sure it's just different, but it's a lot of fun. Like I really love making films. I mean, what's, what's not to love, man? God damn, it's beautiful. It absolutely is. And what's fun too is your, the subject matter, your, your, absolutely in the middle of the storytelling you're a part of the storytelling if you're flying in helicopters or you're whatever it is right shadowing max and stacy must have been a thrill you're not denying your own point of view right no uh, absolutely and it's interesting because you know as i'm working on this film now too i don't know if a component of it will be kind of my story or my journey um because a lot of it like you know the film is going to explore some basic questions like why does everything get more expensive? Okay, money printing. Okay, then who's getting all of this money? Okay, like what are they doing with it? Okay, so what's going to happen next? Like we're just going to keep getting more and more expensive. And so these, this is kind of my own journey. You know, this is these are the questions that I kind of went through on my way to finding Bitcoin. So maybe part of this film will be my story kind of walking through that and me going to these other countries to interview people in Argentina, Turkey, Zimbabwe about life under their inflation. Maybe that segues from my own questioning of like, why is everything getting more expensive? Like, is it just happening here or is it happening other places too? And maybe the story is my story. I don't, I don't know, but yeah, absolutely. Like everyone has a story and mine's been interesting from a filmmaking perspective, just because I started so young and also from a Bitcoin perspective, because I've worked with people like, you know, Max and Stacy and every, everyone has a story to be honest. So my life put me right here. My whole story put me right here. All the bad things that ever happened to me before, like, I guess they're not bad because I like where I am now. And without that, I'd be somewhere else. So yeah, I'm dude, I'm great. <laughs> what was the question? 
<laughs> no, I love it. I love it. Well, I think too, because it, it, it's obvious that your your passions are quite evident, but also because you're in the process right now of making this, uh, what sounds like a really all-encompassing, mystically significant connection with the past, with, with the tech, because there's a problem. Bitcoin, as you know, can very quickly confuse and intimidate a no-coiner. And you have the deep understanding of the tech, but then you have to balance that and bring it up into this aesthetic realm to ease them in. It's fun to hear you talk about all this stuff right now because you're you're figuring it out, right? You're, you're juggling all the, that raw footage. Yeah, and I'm picking up more. The, the, most of the footage is still... Uh, to be, you know, got, got, I still have a lot of interviews to do, but yeah, with the whole Bitcoin thing, yeah, you definitely have to start with something some people can actually relate with. And that's what I've been telling like people in the, in the Bitcoin space, especially on Twitter who are like, you know, spend a lot of time talking just like in an echo chamber kind of. And I, I get it because I love Bitcoin. I'm fascinated. I always want to learn more about Bitcoin, but I found that the easiest way to bring in new people to Bitcoin is to connect with them on something else and let them get to know you first so that they understand the kind of person you are first and they actually value your thoughts and opinions. And then you can get into Bitcoin, you know, but if you go into Bitcoin first, they'll likely have a preconceived notion, probably that it's boiling the ocean and it's immoral, you know, for you to like it. Uh, And then, it skews their whole perspective of you. The approach for this film, and it's the same thing with the El Salvador film too. It, it was an El Salvador film, not a Bitcoin film, you know? Uh, Bitcoin plays a major role, but, and, and this is the same thing. This is an, uh, the film I'm working on now is a film about inflation. And you, dude, like you see it like in person. If somebody asks me, what are you, what, what's your film about? And I say Bitcoin, they'll go, oh, and then no more questions, no more interest in uh, usually. And then if I say, but if I tell them, oh, it's about inflation, Oh, wow. Really great timing to make a film about that. Like, yeah, no kidding. Exactly. So, um, yeah, you have to start with a problem that they can relate with. And uh, my goal is to go to the most universal problem, which is why the hell does everything get more expensive? It reminds me of that Hayek quote where where you the sly roundabout way to take the money away from the state. But you're finding a sly roundabout way to introduce them to Bitcoin. Yeah, well, I mean, I feel like it's a direct way. And I feel like for you to appreciate a solution, you have to understand and appreciate the problem. Um, Most people don't understand the problems to begin with, but they are feeling it now. Like the last couple of years, people in the United States are talking about inflation. They don't know what it works, but they're saying the word, they're feeling it. And um, that's new. And so they don't know why though, right? So I'm going to put them through that path. It's just... There's $300 billion in 1960. There's like 35 trillion now. And Apple used to cost one penny. Now it costs a dollar. Government and big businesses are getting the money. It's corrupting everything. Food, healthcare, education, news, war, entire countries, right? Like with the IMF. Um, This is what it's doing. And this is why things get more expensive. It's a double fuck. It's like, not only is your life getting more expensive just to live, but everything is being decayed around you at the same time, the same swing of the sword. And the history is super bleak. If you don't, if Bitcoin doesn't exist or you don't know anything about Bitcoin and you realize these things and then you look into history and you realize that every single money ever has ended this way, 
it's like a huge tsunami is coming for you. And all of a sudden now you see that there's a huge wave coming and it's not here yet, but you see it's going to crash on you at some point. And it's just kind of like, man, I'm, I'm just screwed. But with Bitcoin, there's another boat. There's something that you can get on board. And um, it's cool if you get on, you know, if you get on after the hyperinflation, it, that's cool too, man. But you have an opportunity here where you can, if you can understand this thing, you can put yourself in a lot better position for the transition. And man, if, if enough people can wake up to that before the flood, maybe the transition will be a little bit um, softer. Maybe we'll get a soft landing, you know? Yeah. And, and for me, because as you mentioned, the echo chamber of uh, aspects of this world, I've this is where my niche feels right. Like I'm not comfortable out there talking about whatever nonces and macro, you know, Lynn Alden's got that covered, right? I, I think that the role of the artist in persuading people to understanding and taking action is unmatched. I've been listening to Lynn Alden, you know, since she was first on Preston Pish or whenever she first made a splash, but none of it gets me stoked, like watching a 10 minute documentary or seeing what an artist is doing to bring the, his or her voice into the conversation. Yeah, well, we're, we, we have superpowers though, you know, I mean, Lynn just has words that go into your ears and then, but we have the ability to communicate a lot more information, a lot more information. I mean, just the expressions on a person's face communicates a lot of information. So yeah, we can get people's feelings involved. And, and like you say, um, so one, we can communicate the most amount of information. And number two, we can inspire the most action because action is not uh, rational. Most, most human action is not rational. It's based on emotion. It's how people feel about something. And if you have a feeling in mind, you want someone to feel this way, you can do it. <laughs> you know, you can watch it over and over again. You can edit it. You can swap it out until it makes someone feel that way. Uh, and that's another cool thing about film is like, it's a performance, but it's a performance that you can polish for an indefinite period of time. It's something that if you're not happy with it exactly right now, it's okay. You can still get it to where you want it to be. So it's, it's nice. You have the benefit of having the time and making mistakes and polishing and polishing. Uh, but yeah, like, I agree with you. Uh, and the macro stuff. And the thing is like words that people don't understand disconnects them from what you're talking about because they get lost and they have no idea what you're talking about. As soon as you go by one word that they don't understand, like you say protocol, you say monetary policy, you say having, you say subsidy, like lost, 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 lost. You got to keep it simple and you got to trip people into the hole. There's so much information. You're, there's no way you're going to get the whole thing across. For new people, you just got to fill in the border of the puzzle and then let them fill in the rest. Let them see the picture of this is what's going on. Now, I agree with you. The artists are the ones that inspire people to take action. And that's, that's really all that's important in this world is what actions do people take. Yeah. And I also think it's funny that in the moment, that art isn't always fully understood. It may be recognized as great or powerful, or it may sell in the galleries, whatever, sell tickets. But it's only with hindsight that it contextualizes and we really give it weight of how it moved the culture forward. So I think there's a patience that 
a low time preference, if you will, to creating things that, that checks our egos and allows us to wait and see. Let's see how this lives in the world. Uh, and I think that can be daunting and it can be frustrating, but it's the na- it's the story of art over and over again, right? No, they're, they're toiling in obscurity 300 years later. They're like, huh, that guy was awesome. Right. Yeah. And um, I mean, I wonder like um, how much of it is like dogma also or like control, you know, that small group has control and, and maybe not very many people in the time actually knew about the artist or what they're trying to communicate. It, it may be some of that too, but that's another really great thing about making Bitcoin related content or films is that they have the potential to live forever. I mean, to be valuable forever. I would say that this is the most radical time in human history. If you blend uh, the last few decades of technology and um, uh, money that can't be inflated for the first time ever, it's probably the most radical time ever. So um, if you make a solid piece about what's happening right now, I think it'll be studied for generations and generations and generations and generations. So there's a really great opportunity as an artist to produce something that gets appreciated for a long time. And I, 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 I battle with this because I've been listening to Marcus Aurelius' uh, meditations, uh, you know, the Roman Empire. And one of the things he, you know, he's a Stoic. And one of the things he talks about is, you know, all you should focus on is doing the right thing and helping your fellow man, helping society. And just like you don't care about people who criticize you, if you know you're doing the right thing, you also shouldn't care for the people to applaud you either. And so I'm, I'm constantly trying to remind myself, like, I'm not doing this for like a legacy for to, to be remembered for generations and generations and generations. My goal is very clear. My goal is to help the regular person understand why they need Bitcoin and the trip down the rabbit hole. That is the only goal that I'm going to make this film the best version of that, that that can be. And what will be, uh, will be, but I think if I can do that, it should last for generations and generations. So it's kind of a chicken and egg thing, but yeah, that, that's a really great opportunity for anybody making Bitcoin related stuff right now. And that's why I encourage people make documentaries, make films, make something that is more substantial or more dense that has a longer lifespan, not just like a topical news or, or these kinds of things like think bigger capture this crazy moment we're in any aspect of it just fucking capture it man because this is like gold in terms of time we are living in this time of gold you just got to grab it dude just any way you can just grab it and it's going to be valuable man i love it i love it i'm talking with all the artists that i've talked to and, and hopefully more to come it's really cool to know they're all making something that the veil of time will see anew, their driven, their passions are manifest in the moment, but it will grow and be interpreted. In high school, art history classes were so much more interesting to me than the date of World War II, you know, just a bunch of wars and nonsense from the history class. The art history, there were pictures that represented human advance and human change and human ideas. And I could feel it and understand it and relate to it. Uh, and so I think you're absolutely right. We as creative creatures, storytellers, should be doing anything we can to get out there and make stuff. Yeah. And I mean, art a lot of times comes from uh, suffering, right? Like some of the best artists come from some of the most suffering. 
I wonder what it's going to be like in the future because I, I, I believe with, you know, in a hyper Bitcoinized world, there's going to be a lot less suffering. Maybe art's going to get kind of shitty or maybe we'll have this crazy flourishing like, a, like Egypt where you're building these grand pyramids astronomically aligned to Orion's belt. Like for what other than maybe just pure beauty? Maybe they had some utility, but like just be- just doing things for the sake of beauty, period. Uh, I look forward to that future uh, and, and maybe different, like uh, it'll be different art than the pain art that I think humans are. Because I think even Vietnam, right? Like how much great music came out of that era? Incredible, right? Um, it's almost worth it. Fuck, I hate to say it. I don't mean it. I really don't mean it. But God damn, you know, there's a lot of beauty that, that blossomed out of that shit. Yeah, yeah. The, if the muses thrive in adversity and we're coming into a time where... Uh, we're alleviated from tons of that. I think the artists in their own wrestling of demons or, and also there may be frustration knowing that you're starting a project that won't finish for 300 years because your time preference is such. Uh, and so there's a quiet lament that you won't see something finished, right? It will be your great grandchildren that will be putting the last capstone on. Fascinating. It reminds me of Egypt because some of the temples there that they built out, they built out over generations of time. And yeah, that's exactly that. To start a project. What, what's the saying? It's like to plant a tree that you won't enjoy the shade of. Correct. I kind of love the idea that Bitcoin is this cathedral, this multi-generational project. Yeah. Obviously, we'd like it to happen sooner. Or keeping in that metaphor, where do you see us? And what, and what role are you playing on the cathedral's crew? <sighs> so here's how I see it. I feel like the cathedral is already stunningly beautiful and I'm just turning heads to look at it and to understand it. I mean, again, if, if you just have these agreements, okay, these, these principles here, one film is a very, very powerful tool Two, if you watch my stuff, I can see it on Netflix. I, and I think most people can see my quality of work on Netflix, right? So if you take that powerful tool and you distribute it to the masses, you can get a lot of heads to look at the cathedral. I think that the cathedral will continue to be built and perfected and polished and patched and everything for generations and generations. But I think it's good enough for people to start coming. And maybe Lightning Network isn't ready for it and custody isn't ready for it, but that's okay. Like, let's get the demand there then. Let's 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 get these developers motivated. Uh, not that they're not already motivated, but... I don't think we got to wait for that. Let's push people in, man. Let's let's get the people coming. So I think that I have been practicing an art that is very very powerful, and I think I can I think I can shift the world, man. I think I can. I really think that I, I have the ability and I have the tool to do that. Uh, think about Tiger King, right? Obviously, that's a very very successful show on Netflix, but Monday. Nobody knows who this dude is. Tuesday, everybody knows him. That's the power of film. And that's the power of just getting the message to that many people. So I think that that's possible with a Bitcoin or no, 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 an inflation film. I think the world is ready for a film about inflation and to understand why this is happening and what the consequences are of it and that there's another option and Perhaps the things they've heard about Bitcoin are not true, or there's a lot more things that they haven't heard about. I don't know. I, I think I can really 
push the timeline along. I think I can reduce the suffering, reduce the pain of the transition. I really believe that. And that's my goal. Uh, anything less than that will be failure. It'll still be beautiful, I'm sure. But that is what I'm trying to do. That is very clear. I'm not, I'm not going for anything less than that. I'm going for worldwide understanding of this problem. So yeah, I think I can move the dude. I think I can move the needle, you know, like literally like a lever under the earth and like, that's the power of film, man. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I can picture it. I can picture this. The cathedral is already a gleaming uh, structure and you're just make you're lensing across <laughs> or down the apps or something or sunset mm-hmm. putting them in a chair and just turning them to face it you know yeah awesome good i mean because bitcoin is hope right i mean it's brought me a lot of hope and made life a lot more fun and a lot more meaningful and made it clear that for sure i want to have kids and i know there's a lot of people that are worried about that if they knew a bitcoin they'd, they'd have a lot more hope and they feel a lot better so yeah, I'm going to bring it. Yeah, bring it, dude. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. And I really enjoyed uh, just hearing you, hearing your passions and your um, your commitment. It's really honorable. And I'm grateful for you spending the time with me. Well, thanks uh, again. I, I couldn't help myself if I wanted to. Bitcoin's infected me and it's forced me to do this. So, you know, it's got, it's got a gun against my head, basically, you know. So don't thank me. Thanks, Bitcoin. There you have it. I've put links to Bitcoin Shooter on Twitter and Telegram and links to Comeback Country and his work in progress, 21 Feathered Serpents, in the show notes. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review of the Bitcoin Muse in your favorite podcast app, and perhaps come on over to the Value for Value model by listening on the Fountain and Breeze apps. That'll help me and the folks at OpenSats. Thanks to my brother, Brand, for the music. Thanks to you for listening. And thanks again to Bitcoin Shooter for sharing his time and energy on the Bitcoin Muse. Onward.